Writing is a journey, and when you embark on that journey, you are responsible for discovering and developing as a writer in ways that are relevant and gratifying to you rather than to someone else's idea of success. I'm Kevin Gallagher, and this is Walking with Writers. A lot of what I do is experimentation. I'm trying to find my style. I'm doing things that I know are not the tried and true methods that should work. Come take a walk with us as we go down Michael D'Angelo's Writing Path. Welcome to this week's edition of Walking with Writers. I am your host, Kev, and uh, you can find us for now on linktree.com slash that nerdy Kev, not .com, linktree slash that nerdy Kev. That's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash that nerdy Kev. Uh, or, of course, uh, on our Substack newsletter at starbirdmedia.substack.com. Uh so uh, I'm doing something different with these intros, something I discussed in episode zero, but uh, I used to, when I edit podcasts and interviews and stuff, I would uh, listen to the whole thing, edit the whole thing, and then record the intro. Uh, what I'm going to be doing now is I'm going to record the interviews, obviously, and then uh, we're going to, when we sit down and do our editing, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to hit record, I'm going to record this here intro. Uh, and then I want to edit the episode and listen to it so that I get a chance to um, uh, be surprised, I guess. But um, our first guest this week uh, is my good friend uh, and yours, the creator of TELUS and Quantum Quest, the spinner of worlds uh, over there, um, Mike D'Angelo. And uh, I'm really excited to, you know... Mike's also a producer on this podcast. Him and I kind of conceived this together. Uh, and I always have a great time sitting down and chatting with him. We chat almost every day uh, anyway. Um, but what's really interesting about this conversation that I had with Mike um, is that we did go into areas. And I've known this this guy uh, since the third grade. And we are 38 years old. He's 39. But we are in our late thirties approaching fast approaching that, that 40th year of ours. And, um, the fact that I had the opportunity to sit down with him and have a different type of conversation that was really, really focused on writing. And yes, we did talk about a lot of things I already knew, um, whether, you know, cause again, we've known each other for a very long time for gosh, probably 30 years, over 30 years at this point. And, uh, so I know a lot about Mike and, and his writing journey. However, uh, we did get into a few things that I didn't know about. And that was, to me, what makes this show so special is those unexpected surprises um, that I have with people that will probably be frequent guests. Like Mike will be a frequent guest on this podcast. Um, there are other people that I want to have check-ins with every season and, and just chat about their new projects or their new struggles or their new, uh, uh, you know, achievements and, and, um, stuff. So, um, and, and being able to discover new things with people that I talk to on a regular basis is really kind of like the, oh my God, this is what I wanted kind of moment. Um, there's other things that are going to happen on this show that are going to be that, oh my God, kind of moments. Anyway. Um, I'm also going to do my best to try to keep these interests shorter than I used to with everything is awesome. Uh, so that said, uh, please, please buckle up, sit down for a nice, interesting conversation. Um, Mike is a wonderful writer, uh, of 
all things Telus. Um, you know, you can go to Telus.com to really get the full breadth of his work and and what he has accomplished over the years. Um, but for now, sit down and have a have a, an, an enjoyable time listening to this a wonderful conversation with with my best friend in the world, Mr. Mike D'Angelo, right here on Walking with Writers. We'll be in the middle of a conversation. Oh, there it is. It's like we've been talking for hours. It's uh, this this interview has gone on for hours. That's why I'm on my third cup of coffee. (laughs) This is three o'clock in the morning. Don't pay no attention to the sunlight coming in. That's that's the uh, artificial god light that we have. Yes, yes, Um, yes. So, uh, producer. Quasi producer, I don't know what we're calling you for this show on a regular oh, basis, Mike. Mike. <laughs> but yeah, so we have you um, as our first guest. It always makes sense for you to be the. I think the only time you weren't like a key guest somewhere, I, I was maybe everything is awesome. I think we ended up not able to get you booked for the first episode. Like I was like on a timeline. You ended up being like episodes. Oh, you were a three part episode. I think you were episodes seven through 10 or something like that could have been uh, somehow. But, um, and like, I was thinking about this today um, or, you know, in the last few days here, it, it, it harkens back to the interview we did the written interview we did for uh, that's entertainment Yeah, where I'm like, Oh, I know so much about you uh, and what you do writing wise that like, how am I going to make this new and interesting? And we're going to get there. I think we're going to figure it out. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that the the thing that I'm most interested in um, that, you know, I, I kind of I know we know the origin story. I mean, we I don't I don't necessarily want to go over the origin story of, of you becoming a writer because yeah. that's written down and that's entertainment or that entertains dot com. Um, you've t- I've seen you talk about it, I think, in your newsletter and maybe in another interview. Yeah, it's not like it's any new news. Right. Yeah. Like you, if, if folks. You know, first of all, you know, this is Mike D'Angelo. I probably gave him a glowing intro in the actual intro of the podcast. But um, Mike here is a fantasy writer, um, a spinner of worlds uh, over at telus.com. And um, you can check out, uh, you know, his website, his newsletter, thatentertains.com. You can search for uh, Mike's name and you'll, you should see uh, my interview with him pop up there and you can get his origin story. It's a wonderful origin story. Um, I, I guess like, because you've been writing, oh Christ, 20 years. Yeah. You figure at this point it's like 22, I guess. Right. So like, so, cause, well, cause well, you will be 39. Yeah. Yeah. So it's at this point, it's more than half of my life that I've been writing. So, you know, when, when you were early on, like 16 ish is when you started, right? 17, I think. 17 ish. Yeah. Um, so early on, like, what was the quote unquote struggle? Like, was there a struggle? Because we were kind of just doing it for fun. It feels like. Yeah, I mean, if if you're 17, you're. I mean, of course, there's always the dream. Uh, you know, I'm gonna make it big. I'm going to sell my book for millions. You know, at the time, like, I thought, like, I'm not even going to use like the same name in my my books as with everything else. And it was not like the way that people usually do a pseudonym because, you know, they're switching genres or anything like that. For me, I thought that I was going to make it big doing the acting. Right. Um, So like the, the writing and everything was just kind of like a fun side story. 
and it was the stories themselves needed to be told. So there wasn't really too much of a struggle from a perspective of, you know, how do I get these thoughts out? You know, I'm, I'm a teenage kid at this point who's going through in, in his head at the time the worst emotional torment that he's ever been through because I'm a teenage guy in love and I'm out of love and in love again and everything right. like that. And everything hurt back then. You know, when you're 17, a little bit of heartbreak is like, oh my God, oh, it's the worst. It's, you know, we, every now and then we'll look back at like our, our horrible, horrible, like live journal, de dead journal days and every, everything like that. And like, that is the immortalization of how, terrible we were about everything so i have a folder printed out of at least my stuff if not both our stuff of our old live and dead journal stuff that's like that, your dead man switch like if anything ever happened <laughs> you can print it out to everybody it's yeah it's, well i remember we we read some of it on uh, an episode of everything is awesome um but it is it is crazy to think back to because for me back then like maybe radio was on my radar because um, the uh, YSP, which was, you know, for those that don't know, was the big rock uh, and, and roll radio station around here before it went all talk and now sports. Um, and at one point in like high school, they, they said that uh, they were looking for disc jockeys or something um, and like send in your tapes and me and, and a mutual friend of ours were like, let's do something. Let's send this in. I think realistically at that, because I started writing around the same time, writing, I'll put it in air quotes, because I never really took it seriously back then. Uh, I mean, probably I, I completed something. So probably more serious then than I do now, to be honest. But uh, wrestling was my thing back then when I was yeah. 16. You were 17. I was 16. Wrestling, like that was my dream. That was like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to fucking wrestle for the WWE. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to be that guy. Um, and, and I think that like much like most things in my life, the, uh, you know, the, the lack of, um, dedication, uh, is, is where I faltered there. Like I could have like slept in a car and, and traveled the country and, and tried. I mean, at the same time though, we were probably like one of the biggest backyard wrestling federations that there were. I mean, oh. I don't think that there's too many other like teenage kid going into their twenties federations that were able to say, Hey, I was going up against places like three PW and right. you know, things like that and drawing a bigger crowd. Like we, we were on the cusp. There was little right. things that like, there was that like young kid drama that kind of got in our way and everything like that and made some issues. That's I think when when I look back to uh, that that era of our lives, that's got to be the the biggest hurdle in anything we did writing, acting, um, wrestling uh, was like, oh, just the drama of it all. Yeah. And needless drama, too, because like, yeah, there's, there's certainly going to be things that get in the way of, you know, a good time and everything. But like, it doesn't need to involve everybody. You know, right. like, I mean, everybody thought that everything was about them. I right. have to step in here and it's very, I'm, I'm going to besmirch the town that we both live in, but it's very Levittown. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, there's, it's, there's no, I think when you live in Levittown, you know, that you know what you are, you know, and it's not bad to be a Levittowner, yeah. but like I was, when we were starting to look for new houses, you know, we would, we would like look at like Edgewood area of Yardley, uh, 
and like and and certain parts of Newtown that were still part of Pensbury. And I'm like, I can't imagine living there because I let my grass just get a little too high and I want to get kicked out. Like I, <laughs> I'm not I'm not white trash love of town, but I'm like just a step below that, like where I don't I don't take Hello. care of my yard. What's that? <laughs> above not below <laughs> yeah so i'm a step above yeah yeah um yeah but you know what it is about levittown levittown is a huge huge area but it's got a very small town feel so yes. everybody feels very involved everybody you know like it's very hard to step away from everybody else like we're all tethered in some right. ways well and it's it's kind of like fairless hills is a small area of no. of, of this area levittown is easily three four times the size of fairless hills but it 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 very much feels like a community that even though it's splintered everywhere it does it has that small town community that that i love like i i truly do love i mean i stayed in levittown i i had we could have probably pushed up to yardley if we wanted to but i really do love levittown and and it's uh you know you know it's history you know as as uh, controversial as it may be, you know, modern day Levittown is great. And, um, and, and it feels, you know, pretty, pretty safe and inclusive. Uh, no, not inclusive. Inclusive yeah. is bad. No. Inc- well, yes. Inclusive is good. Yes. <laughs> God damn it. We yeah. want to be inclusive. Yeah. Uh, see, it's too early. It's 3 a.m. I can't <laughs> think of these words. That's a nice throwback. <laughs> um, so, you know, other so so really, when you were a teenager, you know, not much struggle. The struggle wasn't necessarily like, "Hey, what what do I write? How do I write?" It was what I didn't understand at the time was, "This is terrible." Like, if I want to continue with this, like, I need to be able to to look back at it and find shame in it, right? Um, which I, I think, and I you know, and I'm interviewing writers all the time as well. And, and not any, not everybody feels that way. You know, like some people they're like, you know, like I always think that my writing is great and everything like that, but I have a feeling for myself, at least 10 years from now, I'm going to look back at the most recent book that I just finished and I'm going to hate it. And I, and I right. kind of hope, you know, like I, I hope that I do hate it because I hope that that should show signs of improvement. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope that it doesn't get to a point of like self-loathing or anything like that. You know, right. like, the books that I've done since Enemy Within, like the the first trilogy, like I'm a little bit like I don't know how I feel about that. Um, but everything since then, like the Mage Born and On, the the new era that we're writing, right. everything that I feel, you know, it doesn't disgust me. I, I can see like where things needed to improve, and I'm learning all the time. Like you know, here's how I would refine things, and a, a big part of it too for me was even in the, the first trilogy and the first couple of books that came after that, a lot of what I do is experimentation. Like I'm trying to find my style. I'm doing things that I know are not the tried and true methods that should work right. because I'd rather experiment with the medium and see what I can do. As long as I can tell a story that people enjoy, that's all that I care about. Yeah. I, uh, and it's funny, like I go, you know, back and I like recently within the last two or three years and have reread not crossroads, but, uh, (laughs) but binding, right. I've gone back and, and, and I reread that and like, it's a, because admittedly your best friend has read very little of your work because there's just so much going on in my life that like, I, I, 
do not get. And in fact, completely forgot to do my homework. I read the first page or whatever, whatever you uh, call it in, when it's on a website. But I read like first chunk of the story that you sent me uh, and then completely forgot that I had to read the rest of it until this moment right now. <laughs> That's OK. <laughs> uh, which we'll get to that later because I do want to talk about it. But because that has some interest. You t- what you told me has interesting things with it. But yeah. um, so. I asked this question that I'm about to ask because I feel like I, I didn't necessarily have this from, from family. Uh, but like, what was, what was like the support with, from like family when, when you're like, Hey, and maybe not when you were 17, but maybe when you got a little bit older and you're like, Hey, I really want to do this. It's like, this is my passion and I think I can do this. So I'm lucky enough in that, um, when, when I when I was in like my early twenties and everything, like even with like the acting, which went nowhere, my mom was pretty cool about it with the wrestling stuff. She was cool about it. Um, it could have been like on like the other end of the pin, like it could have fallen the other way, and somebody could have been like, "This is really stupid." Like I need you to focus on college, which for the most part might have been the better decision. Like if I would have focused more in college, maybe I would have amounted to something more now. Um, but, but the, the idea that I could express myself and try and find myself kind of gave me the opportunity to do what I need to do now. My dad, um, you know, before he passed was really proud of like everything that I worked on. Like, um, admittedly, like I didn't have the, like any of the new three books. So like, he really didn't have a lot to see as far as that went, but I would imagine that my dad would have been like wildly proud of like the book stuff that I've done because before he passed, my dad would record like the five second clips of like the stuff that I had been on when I was acting uh, on VHS. Oh, like yeah. he would watch the, the 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 show and like rewind it into place and record it and everything. So he there's some VHS tape of me somewhere with like my total of like 45 seconds of screen time that my dad was like the proudest parent ever. And like before that, like my dad and I like barely got along, you know, like we're buttonheads with two dudes right. buttonheads and everything like that. But like he was hugely proud of that kind of stuff. So I can only imagine that the book stuff, which I think I've accomplished more with, he would have been all about that. And, and that's, I think, I mean, that, that is huge. You know, I, I come kind of from, I feel like the opposite, at least when I was of the age where I needed to be encouraged, right? Like, Absolutely. My family, you know, and, and I would say, you know, I don't know that I ever really needed my parents approval as much as I love my parents. Like I never really needed their, I probably sought out my uncle's approval more than anyone else because yeah. he, he was an older brother to me. Like he, yeah. he was, he, he was the closest thing I had to a brother outside of, of you and, and, and Chris and stuff. And, um, he, you know, so he like like he enjoyed the fact that I I wrestled and stuff, but he he was like, you need to go to college. You can't focus on this. And when I did like some of the uh, was it Bedford Diaries? Was that the name of the show? <laughs> when I did some of that, he was like, that's fucking neat. But you need to go to college. Yeah. Um. And and my 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 parents, specifically my dad, you know, was very much like he actually was when he we talked college. He's like, you got to go to school for for a teacher because you'll get summers off. It's great. Blah 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 blah. And, you know, it's, it's funny because both things that were pushed on me, be school for, go to school to be a teacher. I got to the light, turn left to go take those finals or turn right and go play Final Fantasy with Mike. And I turned right. 
and and I went into I think we were playing Crystal Chronicles. Sorry, your life has been ruined by me. <laughs> no, because you know it eventually led me going to school for computers, which again I ultimately kind of dropped out of because I I got a career in computers, but. You know, both things that were pushed on me from from adults that were my, you know, you know, who loved me and wanted the best for me, they they pushed too hard, I feel. Yeah. Um, and and didn't encourage the stuff that I wanted to do. Um, and you know, again, probably for the best that as I sit here with the limited amount of wrestling I did and my back is killing me, um, and and stuff. So and I'm sure I had plenty of concussion. I know I, the reason my ankle broke was probably from a torn ligament that the year before from wrestling. So, you know, I, I get that. Uh, I think my life is better off for sure for not being encouraged, at least with the wrestling stuff. Um, but definitely all the creative processes that I've gone through, like I come from the opposite end of view. Like I said, like I, none of it was ever necessarily encouraged though. Yeah. I do think like, it's right around when I really hit my streak with podcasting was, was the Philly, Philly podcast festivals and stuff like that. And doing all the live shows. I, now I think my uncle would be super into it because like he got sick January of 2016. Uh, I started everything is awesome. That February uh, did the podcast festival uh, like two weeks after we got news, he had to go back to the hospital and then, you know, and we lost him later that year. Um, so he, he never really got to see me like blossom as a podcaster and not necessarily, not even a podcaster. That's fun. I love doing live podcasts. Um, the panels at, yeah. at cons, like that's, I think he would get a huge kick out of that. I think what he would be maybe the most proud of, and not because he was a star Wars fan, um, but was my recent nerd night talk at, uh, about star Wars, uh, on May 4th. And, and I think he would have loved that a, because I'm doing something that I love. And I got paid to do it, yeah. which is crazy. He would have been at all those panels too. Yeah, I think so. I think he definitely would have. He definitely would have been in Nerd Night if you know he has he he had a, he has a kid that's you know my age or not my age, but you know the 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 age of my oldest son. So like it may have been difficult for him to get to some of the panels and stuff, but still, like he totally would have been. All, I think he would have finally like seen like oh he's taking this shit seriously while having like a a big boy job too. So. um I, I, same boat. I think like, as your dad would be like super into what you're doing now, I think, uh, you know, my uncle, who is probably the only person outside of friends and, and like my wife, uh, and kids, I guess to a degree, um, that I seek approval from. And, and I, it is, it's just, it's, it's nice to see that like you had that encouragement. I I guess I knew that as well, but it's nice to know that, and I, I can give you a flip side, too, if you want, because from uh-huh. like mid to late 20s and beyond, there was no way for me to talk to my mom at all about it because it was so poo pooed by my stepdad. Right. Um, like I, in, in their house, if I mentioned my books at all, it was like the entire mood of the conversation changed. So for years, the only time that my mom ever heard anything about it was like the Kickstarters and stuff like right. that. Which, you know, she supported and she supported the game and stuff like that. But, like, there was no conversation about it. And to the point where, like, I think she ended up, like, bringing, like, one of the books to the beach with her, like, a couple of years ago. And she's like, you know, your books are actually pretty good. (laughs) I'm like, I know. I've been writing. (laughs) Well, so that's an interesting um, point you bring up. Like, 
how did that affect you? Like knowing that while your mom's proud of you and is encouraging you to do stuff, like did that affect anything with whether it was with your writing or with your mentality? You know, not being able to to sh- even I mean your stepdad's family, like not being able to share that with your family. I mean, I, I'm sure that in some ways, like when someone tells you you can't do something, you just take it as like a reason to prove them wrong. Right. You know, so it didn't help or hurt, depending on how you're looking at it, that by that point, I had already um, released Bindings and As Darkness Falls um, within like a three month period of each other and given myself like a glimpse of what like success could be, because during those like three or four months, I was bringing home $800 a month on two admittedly terrible books compared to like some of the greats and stuff like that. You know, like I'm on the the cusp of like the Amazon era where everybody is starting to self-publish and everything. And to see two books that were written probably around the time I was like 22, 23 do so well, it was very hard for me to be able to say, you know, you're right. I shouldn't be doing this because right. I could see that it could play out. And in the grand scheme of things, there's a good chance that like, if I had written quicker and I don't know that I would have been able to write an 800 page book quick enough to capitalize on that because it took me an additional two years after as darkness falls to get the enemy within out. There's, there's no way to capitalize on what you need to do to keep people coming in and reading your books. But at the time you couldn't have proven me wrong. Like there was right. no, there was no way that, you know, this wasn't a good idea. Um, it could have been that like the way I'm doing it now is wrong and I should just save my books forever. And then like when I'm 50, you just drop, yeah, you know, like three months. <laughs> well, and that's like, how, what do you think of all the things you do? Not just like, because we're 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 both in our late thirties on the cusp of forty here, uh, and I often think about that. Like, oh, we're fucking adults. Yeah. But like, I, don't I feel know. like a kid still in a lot. <laughs> what 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 am I doing that's an adult? Like, what what are you doing that you're aside going to work? five days a week like and i raise kids like i you know i get it i'm a dad like i'm being an adult i kept them alive you know for at least 10 and a half years with the oldest one um and but like i i play video games i literally i sent jenna uh uh my wife um a link to uh a on chasing amy day which this year was 420 um, to a signed in action figure of Holden McNeil signed by Ben Affleck. And I was like, Oh my God, this is the one I need to complete my collection. Cause I got like all the other ones signed by Kev Smith, Jason Muse, Brian O'Halloran. Uh, I think, um, uh, God, what's uh, Jeff Anderson. I think I might be mas- missing Jason Lee, uh, as well. But, uh, and like, like she had she concocted this way to make it so that like I couldn't buy it. Not, not me being, simple mindedly like she said yeah we just need to like cut back on spending and like we need to cut back on our, our the allowance we give ourselves and like oh retroactively i need to collect some money from you so that like because you have a stockpile of money and, like so that we can like pay off some bills and stuff i'm like oh okay like whatever cool and she was trying to wait until my birthday to surprise me but like it wasn't selling out so and i was saving money for it and she's like okay this was supposed and she got like she kids start up in a box and she's like oh we can't open this hey give it to dad to open i start opening it and it's the, the the signed in action figure from ben affleck i was like holy like biggest surprise of of my year for sure and um but that's the mentality i still have like yeah there's a 
her sense of child like wonder I, and like to the point where I'm like, God, Jen, look at this wall right here. Like, it's the perfect size to hang in action figures. She said, "Shut up," because like that's her biggest criticism of me when we first met was like, and I, I, you know, admittedly when we first met, I was I guess still like maybe a little too old. I was in my late mid to late twenties when we met, and I had um, I had in action figures hung up in my apartment living room. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's the child. I mean, when I get my basement set up and I get a, a wall framed out to, to hang on drywall, I'm going to hang all my in action figures because I'm a man child. I, but, and to that extent, extent, I have like at least a hundred amiibos right. that are hanging out. And, and before I don't still do this, but I used to buy two of them so I could open one. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do remember that. I do remember that. Um, so how does that, because uh, I know that's that's my biggest uh, downfall when it comes to writing, doing anything, doing podcasting, writing, um, you know, anything productive. It's like, oh, let me do something that's completely childlike, like just veg- even vegging out to watch Legends of Tomorrow or something like that. So how, how do you balance, you know, work? life, uh, nerdiness and writing. So, I mean, I benefit at least a little bit from the fact that some of that nerdiness definitely feeds into what I'm doing. You know, like if I was doing a nonfiction book, there's probably not as much that I could bring in value wise, but like any kind of like fantasy, sci-fi, something like that, Marvel, you know, like it feeds into like those creative juices and everything, which is a nice thing. Um, to your point though, there is, uh, you know, a, a moment in the morning where I know I could be writing now instead of playing this game on my phone. Um, you know, uh, and to, to some extent, um, while, while the success of the books themselves haven't really like come through yet, they've opened doors for me to do things like the, the Fiverr stuff where I'm promoting other people heavily. Um, and that has kept me busy in another way where I'm, doing a lot of work for other people's books more so than myself sometimes, because if I've got five orders that I'm doing a week, then all of a sudden I don't have that Monday or that Tuesday to work on the book. I have to wait until Wednesday to crack it out and everything like that. Right. So it does get, you know, it's, it's hard to balance out because as you said, there's a couple of different things that you have to pay attention to, to make sure that you still have a roof over your head. Um, you know, and, and and sometimes it just gets a little bit exhausting too, because if you're working, 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 no matter how much you love whatever you're working on, you just need to take a little bit of a break from it. Um, you know, there at this point, I have 17 books written, including like the two books with the multiple stories in it. Um, you know, there's the games that are attached to everything. Um, you know, it just it it, it does kind of. And, and every Wednesday there's an art piece and there's the Patreon and there's the Etsy. So it kind of like it's overflow sometimes. So you just kind of have to Zen out. So, so, and I, I before we touch on games and stuff, cause I think that's, you know, that's an, another facet of, of being a writer. Um, <clears throat> you know, the writing process is something I, I always find fascinating and I, I kind of know yours, but, I also know that it's evolved uh, over time because um, you and I were both like, let's get our pencils and pens and notebooks. Yep. And I never wrote small because I can't write small. But, you know, writing in composition notebooks to later type up on the computer, 
to yeah. later print out and edit or whatever. Yeah. Um, and uh, are you still doing that, you know, what, 22 years later? So I don't typically do the the notebooks anymore. Um, when I when I was working at um, PMHC, the place that I was at before here, um, at least once a week, I would commute by train to the one location. And um, some of it was just waiting for the train. Some of it was being on the train. It was easy to write in a notebook at that point. Um, and then eventually that job became so busy that I ran the gauntlet, what I say, um, where like three or four times a week, I was driving to like five different locations locally and to Philly. And it just became, there's no way for me to do that anymore. Uh, I, so I think the last story that I wrote in that style was Dragon Speaker, which was a slightly shorter story. Um, after that, I think I started working on either Silver Serpent or Heart of the Forest. And that was purely in computer. There's one story that I still want to finish the old school way. And it is the sequel to The Fall. And for whatever reason, I'm just attached to doing it that way. Um, and it might be coincidence. It might not be. But that's the story that I'm having the most trouble with. And it might be because I'm doing it that way. And I've kind of trained myself to do it the other way. It could also be because The Fall leaves a very big shadow. Um, the Maelstrom, in my mind, has to be this exceptional book. Right. Um, because the fall set in, in stone so many important features of the universe that I write. So to answer your question, most of the time, yes, still doing it the, the, the book way. I'm sorry. Most of the time I'm doing it on computers, not doing it the book way. Right. Um, and, and it's a shame because I, I think I elevated writing with a three millimeter pencil to an art form. <laughs> it is. I, it, I still remember reading or, or looking at uh, those notebooks and like, I I can write neat if I have to write neat, but I can't write small. Yeah. In fact, I take up, pro like I probably write three times the size of your writing. <laughs> we were talking like when we were both writing, when we were younger, we would have the same kind of notebook and it would be like, Oh, I finished a notebook. I finished a notebook. And it would be like, in, in like typed form, it would be like 70 pages versus seven because you were gigantic and you wrote with like the gaps between your, your lines. Too. I did. I, I, I left, I don't know why, like that's just the training I had from, I guess, elementary school or whatever. Yeah. And, and I guess maybe because I, maybe you read it or maybe someone read it for me ahead of time and made notes in it. I have no idea, but I, yeah, I left the gaps for no good reason. Yeah. And, but it's crazy to me because I know for, for me, and I think it was the same for you, um, NaNoWriMo is what really like converted me into typing on a, on a computer, which is crazy because like we've had computers most of our lives. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It, 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 necess it necess necessitated, necessitated. I don't know if that's the correct. That correct sounds good. But um, yeah, there, there was no way for us to go, I'm going to write this and then type it and then hit that mark that we needed to. So we had to do it straight from the computer for those contests. And, um, and I remember uh, a big part of it was when we were going into it, I was worried that the quality of my writing was going to diminish, um, you know, the, the, the style was going to change. And I think it, it, it may have, but I think probably for the better. And I don't know if it's by coincidence or if it's, you know, that's the way that it was going to end up going anyway, because we refine ourselves as writers. Um, 
Yeah, I, I, I really, uh, I want to go back to the Notebook, like just for one book. But the see, and I here's the problem I face as a fiction writer uh, is that the story I'm trying to tell, while it's no longer Tellist branded, um, it's the same story I've been trying to tell for for 22 years. It's right? a spiritual successor. Right. Yeah. It's it's. Um, it's been, you know, it, and it's it's different. Like it's definitely a different story, um, in the sense it's not a different story. I, I when, when the, the the bullet points are all the same. It's just it's a different uh, coding on it, really. Um, and I think that's my problem. Is like I know the story so much because it's been in my head for twenty two years. Even the the dog shit pile one that I have sitting in my file cabinet that that has the dude f- jumping over a seventy foot wolf or whatever. I yeah, <laughs> but that that one, that's the story that I turned into. I mean, I expanded it as like that one story we're going to turn into three books. I'm going to flesh yeah. it out and make it look good. And, and I know what all three books are in my head that it's like, all right, let's sit down and write. Yeah. I you almost got to do bored. this. Yeah, you almost get bored with it because you're not surprising yourself at that point. Right. And, and I think like my hope was that switching to sci-fi really like switching to the science fiction setting, making it a little closer to star Wars because, you know, I never really considered like there's bigger star Wars fans than me out there. Um, I'm definitely a fan of the movies and I'm getting into the books and stuff. Um, But, you know, star Wars has become more important to me in the last six years than it ever has been in my entire life. And, uh, so I was hoping switching to that format, that, that genre would really help. And, and I think I just need to give myself the time to do it. And that, and that's, I think my struggle as, as a fictional writer, my struggle as a, uh, when I'm trying to write a story that I claimed a week ago and I still haven't written it is, is that like, Oh man, I need to do, I, I give myself too much to do. I spin too many plates. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know which one to catch first before it falls. Um, and, and I have to imagine like, cause I know, and maybe you don't do it anymore, but you often write more than one book at a time. So you're also spinning plates and you're also doing the game design stuff, which we'll get to in a second. So like what, what, what makes you, is it because you get hit a writer's block that you're like, let me switch to this new story. So at least at the time for, for a little while, when I was at PMHC, it was easy to do the multiple stories at a time from the perspective of I'll write this on the train, I'll write this when I'm at home. Um, so like from a, a purely management position, it was, I've got these two different formats that I'm going to write in. Um, it just works out that way. But from a perspective of, and again, it kind of comes back to the experimentation. Like I, I'm building my saga in the, admittedly the wrong, <clears throat> excuse me, the wrong way, because anybody who knows the marketing, you know, section of of you know your writing career is going to tell you work on this entire trilogy get all three of them done before you start working on the next trilogy i don't work that way to to the detriment of probably my brand um where i go i'm going to write the second book of these five series before i move on to the third book of these five series and by the way i'm also going to add these two new series while i'm working on them like i'm definitely doing things the wrong way um and, and if I had changed it and I did kind of like buck the way that I'm doing things to go for a more like trend style, I probably would be more successful. Um, my, my hope is that by the end of this, 
the backlog will be attractive, you know, when I'm 50 and the trilogies are ready. And then I'm working on like the magnum opus. Right. And, you know, and that at that point, I'm not going to be working on this side project. It's going to be, I'm going to work on this seven book, you know, mega series that combines all these characters. Um, it's definitely feels like more of a uh, Marvel or MCU way specifically of, of writing it. Like, you know, you're doing phases. Yeah. Uh, and if, if the, the, the first book and then the second book are your Avengers and Avengers two, then it's, you know, all those in between movies are the solo movies and stuff. Yep. Yep. The, um, so the trilogy was kind of like, um, where we almost do with the reverse because we do the Avengers and then we do those character based books where we separate them and everything. Um, but if you go back to when we used to wrestle on everything like that, um, before bindings was written, I had the original three books written or it was, it, it was at least two books. Um, and like I was making my way to the third, um, they, so crossroads and it's two sequels technically existed, but I never did anything with it because I rec- I recognized how bad it was, but alongside, um, as darkness falls, which was what it was called back then. Um, we also were working on, and when I say we, I mean the collective, we, as in the people in my head, um, <laughs> we're working on a side story for Christopher's character, the master of iron um, who, you know, back then everybody had different powers and things like that. So their name schemes and everything were all off and everything. But at that time there was like a whole story that I was working on because at that point I was hanging out with a couple of the people who inspired the characters and things like that. Um, So it was kind of working that way into like the multiple spinoffs back then too. And I don't think it was until I was done with The Enemy Within that I wrapped my head around the idea that I wanted to do the more character-based stories. Because at one point, after The Enemy Within, there was just going to be more Luca stuff. It was going to be like another group-based story where we were going to start the next trend. And there's certain like things that have been like recycled as I've gone forward. Like, hey, this idea that was going to happen, I you know repurposed it and put it into this story things like that, but it was going to end up being like another trilogy or something like that. That was just kind of going to show the next iteration of what the group looked like and everything like that. Um, now, uh, before we get to the game stuff has, I know briefly you were working on, on, uh, like some horror stuff. Is there a time uh, that you're still thinking of like genres outside of fantasy or even universes outside of Telest? So, I mean, the I was working on a, a zombie uh, story called Rise. Um, I, I don't know if it's because of The Walking Dead that like, we kind of stepped away from it, um, or if it was just because life just got too busy. But every now and then, like, I'll look back. It's it's still on my hard drive. Like, I, I make copies of my hard drive, like, every six months. And then I have, like, copies on Dropbox. Like, I have multiple copies all over the place. And in one case, like it's other series and sometimes other series is like other series within the Telest universe. And sometimes it's not. So every now and then I'm like, you know, reminded that Rise exists and I'm like, I'm going to get back to that. Um, Cause I thought it was like a fun little character based zombie story. So eventually I would like to get back to that. Um, there's kind of like a twist on the Telest universe that I want to tell that's, that feels more like, maybe a hundred years in the future for us. So it's more sci-fi. Right. Um, 
but I'm going to let your series breathe for like 10, 15 years before I write that. <laughs> um, <clears throat> eventually I'd like to get to that, but tell us this right now. It's at least on the forefront. I, uh, you know, I, I, I've also have a hard, like the zombie thing going, um, and also set that aside. I don't know if I set it aside for the same reason as you, or, or if it was much like I said, everything else aside is like, ah, I, I need to get to it later. Um, that mine I always envisioned as like a I always wanted to do and I still might do it at once I get some stuff done in my, in, in my actual sci-fi series but I've always envisioned my zombie series being you know breaking the mold of, of traditional storytelling in book form and and doing a book as the first one but then doing maybe like a prequel uh, as as an audio drama or podcast or something and then doing the sequel as a comic book or graphic novel. Yeah. Um, well, and if it's the one that we were talking about, you know, like years ago, like the concept of it is really great because it's a person who's basically documenting his experience with the zombie apocalypse, yeah. which is not something that a lot of people do. I, I mean, there's so many podcasts. I'm sure someone has kind of touched on it to some extent, right. but I, I thought that it was a really fresh idea and I'm still interested in it. So get on it. Yeah, yeah. I just this is one of many projects I got to start spinning again. Um, so before, because we, I do want to wrap up soon. I, I'm trying to keep uh, uh, walking with writers, uh, not like everything is awesome where we went on for hours and hours. Uh, so I do want to wrap up soon, and and because we gave ourselves about an hour for this, but um, we so so tell us, you know, naturally kind of went to like another passion of yours. Uh, with games and, and game design, um, and ha- now I, I guess there isn't, there wasn't a lot of necessarily story writing for uh, Quantum Quest. No, not not at the point where we can you know conceived of it. Certainly not. Right. It was more of a like you know, and and writing games can be story or it can be you know mechanics and stuff like that. So this was you know Quantum Quest is as much as I'm sure there is some story in the cards and stuff. You know, there's it's it's purely mechanic writing. But what was that transition like, like going from fiction to mechanics? So I think like the the difference between <clears throat> writing the books and writing well preparing for Quantum Quest was it's very easy to pick up a pencil and write in a notebook and begin a story. You know, like it doesn't need to be the best story. It doesn't need to be anything. But once you start, like the floodgates kind of allow themselves to open if you're open to the time and things like that. But for the for Quantum Quest, and I mean, we, we had been talking about trying to do some kind of tabletop something for years at that point. And it was just mechanically finding the things that made the most sense before kind of like everything kind of fell into place and, and it really did need to kind of fall into place in the right order. Uh, you know, for us to be able to do what we wanted to do with it. Um, unfortunately with games, whether it's tabletop or, uh, or video games, typically if you're trying to do something that kind of expands beyond just words, you need to involve other people. I mean, I probably could have done some really crummy, art or something like that. But I knew early on that like I was going to try and do kind of like an eight bit or 16 bit rendition of whatever art we were going to work on. So even back in the wood services days when we were working there, I knew that I needed to get people involved in that. So I ended up teaming up with a guy who as like a side project, he would do sprite art, but during the day he was doing like VFX shots for like, some big Hollywood movies and stuff like that. 
Um, coincidentally, didn't fall in love with his artwork as much as I would have liked to. And the, the art kind of died down until I ended up finding the guy who I work with now, um, Sergey, who's a guy in Russia. Right. Uh, so we've been working together for like 10 years. And at this point, I've forgotten the original question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Transitioning from the fictional writing to, to game mechanics. Yeah. I, I mean, for the most part, um, the the difference is just making sure that everything works. Um, for writing, you know, I feel like a lot of what you're doing when you're writing is kind of excavating, um, where the story kind of already exists to some extent. Um, and you can kind of like try and put it on, on rails and everything like that and, and force the story to go in a specific direction. But most of the time, the way that I like in my storytelling is by like taking a toothbrush to the dirt and trying to see like what things I can unearth, what details are already there. The story kind of tries to tell itself when I'm working on the things and it allows me to continue being surprised by certain things. Like even if I outline, there's things that show up, you know, little callbacks and things like that, that end up working out really well. When it comes to the games, it's a little harder to be surprised by everything because you're trying to make sure that the mechanics work. You're trying to make sure if I'm doing this with the game, is it going to mess with this later on? Um, is it mechanically going to work if I do, you know, if I change the style of this action to something else with quantum quest, it was kind of easy because at its, at its heart, it's got a lot of like monopoly esque kind of stuff going on. It's, you're buying chambers, which are like the properties in Monopoly, um, and your currency is the blood of your adventurers. You know, <laughs> so from that perspective, things aren't too crazy. You know, like it's it's a very basic game. We're trying to shake that up by doing um, neater mechanics for the rooms, uh, treasures, and stuff like that. And like the next expansion after this second one that we're working on um, for Merge Dungeon, which was the first video game, it was really just kind of like, I love this kind of game. We're going to try and take this style and manipulate it so that it works with quantum quest. Um, so there wasn't too much there. The, the first real experience that we're going to have, I think is going to be this other game tower sphere, which is going to be a little bit more of like a deck builder. So you okay. have to make sure that everything mechanically works, um, which is going to be a struggle trying to make sure that like it all makes sense. Um, but it's been brewing in my head for like five years. So I have, a little bit of faith that it'll work out. So now is, uh, cause I, and I don't think it's available to everyone yet, but, uh, there's a short story to go along with, uh, tower sphere yep. that did the story inspire the game or did the game you've been working on? I guess the game inspired the short story. Oh yeah, a little bit. It was kind of like everything coalesced at the same time because I've known for a long time what the story was going to be. And, and part of it was because we're trying to kind of, trend tell us to feel a little bit more mainstream um so like we're looking at the things that like make sense uh as far as like writing to market and things like that like a lot of people who like their fantasy like it where um different groups of good guys kind of work against each other so you've got like your hufflepuff and gryffindor and stuff like that um and we knew that um the quidditch kind of stuff really excited people too um and I kind of experimented with like the in-universe games and stuff like that before with um, there's a short story where we introduced like the TELUS version of chess called Lords, um, which 
it's a little too cerebral, a little too intellectual for even me who kind of like came up with the idea to be able to put it together into a story effectively. But with Tower Spear, it's like gladiatorial combat mixed with a little bit of like rugby or American football and a little bit of croquet. <laughs> so like it's easier to conceptualize. It's easier to write flashy action sequences, things like that. Um, and then to top it off, it kind of came from a scrapped game idea that I was able to kind of rope back in and it all kind of coalesced right. into this nice little thing that you can put things together. And then at the same time, I'm thinking of it from the tabletop version, but at the same time, you can kind of flip it on its head and do what you see like League of Legends doing and um, Smite and games like that, where it could be like a team-based um, kind of like a capture the flag type of deal. Uh, yeah, I need to to finish the short story, as I mentioned, like 40 minutes ago, uh, to 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 uh, fully embrace this idea. But I do know, like deck builders kind of been like the goal for you for, for gaming. Yeah, for, well, for I mean, years. it's nice to have something like Quantum Quest, because that's kind of like a like a boss monster esque. Once you buy it once, everybody can play it. Everybody has access to the same resources. That's great. That's fun. Um some people like more of like a drafting mechanic. They want to have like a tournament style. I can go into this convention, this store, this wherever I'm going to do it and pick up a standard, you know, four booster packs that are going to let me play the game with whatever luck I, I get. And people like to collect things. So it, it's, it could be a more lucrative model, but like it was really meant to be people, you know, like to do the collecting mechanic and everything like that. And that was what I was trying to do. I was trying to make something that was a little bit more exciting and um, interactive than I'm just going to pick up this one box once and be done with it. So at this point, like the deck would be like 210 cards and you get a random sampling. And how do I finish my set? Yeah. there And it's, it's funny because, you know, we played magic as kids, I guess when it kind of first came, I mean, I, I don't really remember the, the very beginning of magic, but we were like five uh, sets. Yeah. Magic. Yeah. Yeah. Very early on considering now there's like 200 sets. Right. We were very on in, in the, the, the age of magic. And I want to say probably seven to eight years ago, I got back into it with my brother-in-law. We were, and we were playing weekly and like buying boosters weekly and, and, and whatnot. And it's, as soon as I got back into it, first of all, the, the rules are out of, like, I can't understand it anymore, but the collecting mindset is the first thing that kicked in binder, put the cards in, see what cards I need. Let me try to get this whole set of this, uh, whatever core 20 and, and this expansion set and that expansion set. Uh, same thing happened. I very briefly was like the site expert for the now defunct um, uh, Magic the Gathering site that was hosted by Fansided. Um, it, not defunct for any reason other than I don't think anyone wanted to do it. Like I did it briefly. I was trying to get it into be more of a general tabletop gaming thing so I could report on uh, role-playing games more than anything else. But there there wasn't an interest for that at the time. Yeah. Um, so I just, I, th- I think it's very hard to have a fan site for magic, the gathering, unless you have committed people that really know the game. Yeah. Um, and at this point, there's so much to know. Right. Like you need to be, and like, 
I know, um, uh, what do they call themselves? Duelists, I think, um, is Brian Durkin from, um, uh, God, uh, Full Belly Laughs. Full Belly Laughs. related. Yes. Um, He actually lives out in California now, but he lived, you know, in the general Philly area uh, a few years ago. And he was he 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 was a very much of a Magic the Gathering guy. And uh, like he like I think he still goes to tournaments and like he doesn't I don't think he likes it because of the game. Like that's the way I liked it. And I think the way you liked it. He liked it because of like the gambling aspect almost. Yeah. Like, oh, I can play and win and get stuff, and then I can go and sell those cards for money. Mm-hmm. It, he liked it for like, I think, a legitimate reason, um, but just not why I'm into it. Not the not the collecting uh, reason. Yeah. But yeah, duelist is what he said they call themselves. Yeah. I I would hope that at some point, especially like with both of these, you know, these game properties that kind of tie into Telus. I would hope that we would have super fans eventually who were like that. I mean, with the books, I have a couple of super fans who will like respond to all my emails and they'll talk about all my books and things like that. Um, And I would hope that, you know, once we get into a more regular release structure for quantum quest, and if we do get to, you know, have a, a nice kind of experience doing tower sphere, that it's one of those things where we can have, you know, deck after deck after deck releasing and we get to have those people who are like, I need to have one of each of them. Right. You know, there's, I, I do it more because there's kind of like that nostalgic feeling for me because like, I remember like my dad would get me and my brother and, and my dad, um, like the entire booster box, you'd get yeah. like, the 50 boosters or whatever. There was like a smell that you would get opening those crisp new boosters. And everything. you know what? I don't think I ever did that when we played back in the day, it wasn't until I played with my brother-in-law that we went, I think we bought, I think we maybe did. We went in on two booster boxes. So we each got one, but like we, I think mixed and Matt, like we just did half of each box for it. And there's something about opening 36 packs of cards and new card smell. And you know, Oh, this is a good card. And, Uh Uh, and never even about like it being rare or whatever. Like I, I always read the mechanics on a card first and foremost. I don't care if it's common, uncommon or rare. Yeah. Does it do something cool? Yeah. Um, and for me, like in both cases, um, Quantum Quest and Tower Sphere, the idea would be that it would also kind of help to move the, the story forward. Not necessarily of like the story of quantum quest, the story of tower sphere, but like the overall telestructure. And you might not have it go forward necessarily linearly in time. Like it could be, especially with quantum quest, um, it can like envelop like any era of telest because it's wibbly wobbly timey wimey. Um, so you're getting things from all over the, the, you know, the, the telest multiverse essentially. Um, Tower Sphere, maybe not so much just because it's something that's kind of happening right now in the series, but it still gets to push the overall kind of message of what's happening in the world and you get to kind of bring things together a little bit more than everything was kind of sequestered before, you know, like you'd have like every now and then like this, this country's going to war with this country and that's how you get like people interacting. But because of something like Tower Sphere, all of a sudden the entire world's taking a little bit more notice and you've got weird treaties that are happening and, you know, underground tower sphere, uh, you know, 
tournaments are popping up and everything like that. So it just kind of gives me more opportunity to scratch the surface and introduce more characters and stories. And what's I think awesome about that kind of stuff is if you're not bringing in like on quantum quest very few of I, i'll say legends characters but like very few of the big marquee names were actually in the game of quantum quest yeah so you know taking a similar approach to something like tower sphere even with quantum quest like introducing like whether they're named characters or not like this new character you know, may eventually, based on the artwork, could inspire story. In fact, I'm sure has with Quantum Quest has inspired new stories. Yeah, because yeah, at this point, I think we've got. So I think there's 52 characters in Quantum Quest, give or take, and I, I would say at least 10 of them have had their own short story at this point. Um, with uh, with Tower Sphere, the way that the mechanics of the game work in tabletop form, it's most likely going to be more along the line of this character's not named. Um, because you're going to have like your hero level cards that can kind of keep coming back in the end game. But early on, like if the Lylandrian Lance Lancer character um, gets knocked out, like he's out of the game, like he's in the graveyard, like that's the mechanic of the game. Um, but you're not supposed to have like your end game characters completely gone because right. mechanically the, the goal of the game is to flip your other characters towers to your color basically is the way that the game is going to work. Um, weird to talk mechanically about the story when you haven't read it, but the the basic principle is it's like American football where you've got, you know, one, one team in control until, uh, you know, it's overturned. The other team then gets it. And then the object is each team has three towers and you're trying to change the color of the flag on their tower. And all that you need to do to change it is to go through their tower. And it'll be exciting to see how that translates to game, like actually playing the game of Tower Sphere. Yeah. Um, so to, to wrap up, we know Tower Sphere is coming. Obviously, there's more, you know, books coming in the Telus universe, you know, obviously sequels to uh, all the, the, the stories you have. I think Tales of, uh, Tales of Telus 2 is on the horizon-ish. Yeah, that's that's the one that's on the horizon that's closest um, I've actually got the last four stories in uh, Nace's hands, our editor. Um, and then after that, the novelization of Quantum Quest is the next one on, on deck after that. And it really only has like two or three chapters left to go and probably even less than that. And I'm just kind of like overinflating it. Right. Uh, outside of like the sequels and Tower Sphere, is there any like new concepts that you're able to share or... So, so we're working on the third book for uh, the Mageborn series. It'll be the first trilogy that I finished since um, the Enemy Within wrapped up the Child of the Stars trilogy. Um, there's always like some kind of games that we're working on. We've also got a children's book that we're like halfway through wrapping up at this point. And uh, the artist that we work with, he is rapid fire. So, like in theory, we might be able to have it done by the end of the summer, and then like have copies ready to go out to like our family members at Christmas time and stuff like that. Um, every now and then, like I'll put a preview up on the TELUS newsletter. So that's one of the things that we're working on. If the stars align and everything like that, I'd love to do a comic book. I've already got the characters lined up for it. I've already got like the gist of the story. Um, but after that, there's too many eggs. They're falling out of the basket. I, I feel like comic book has also been like a, a a goal for years in the Telus universe. Definitely, now. definitely. I um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be like a new group or anything. But in this case, like I knew, like 
if I wrote it, it was going to be its own thing. Like it was not going to end up being a comic book. So I needed to separate it and say it needs to start as a comic book. Yeah, th- I think that will be one of the most exciting things is because that that's my world. Like, I, and I read books too. Like, I'm I, I've since 2018 or 2019, like I've I've made it a a mission to pick up a book and read a book because there's just something about that. It was all going to the library. I think I went to the library to look at something for work, yeah. and I was like, oh, I can get books at a library. Who would have thought? <laughs> and uh, it's been like where like that's I mean, I, I right now my big thing is reading uh, Star Wars books. But like um, I, I would say uh, I know R.A. Salator is one of your big uh, inspirations. Um, right now, I, for the longest time, Dan Brown was like the guy I like to read. But right now, Chuck Wendig is like my guy. Who's? Do you have uh, to wrap up? Do you have like a uh, – Outside of R.A. Salvatore, is there someone you, that you look to read for either inspiration or enjoyment? So I'm in one of those weird kind of environments where I don't have time to read the big guys anymore. Um, not necessarily just because I'm writing my own stuff, but because so much of what I do as a side job and that I'm passionate about doing is helping the indie writer. Um, so a lot of my time is spent going into whoever is coming up in the world. Um, and every now and then, like the people who I end up promoting, I end up taking into the TELUS universe in whatever which way. So a couple of the, the folks who I've read who I really enjoy um, are Eric Barnum, um, who writes a very TELUS-like world. Um, he had a website up and he kind of like his life just got too busy. Um, but he writes The Forsaken Isles. Um, <clears throat> his kind of like claim to fame is a character who we brought into quantum quest called d'artagna um who is like this legit like flame haired um avatar of i think the dragon tiamat which is pretty awesome so she ended up being a quantum quest card character then we gave her like a bump for free when we did the merge dungeon so she's in that um and then he and i along with two other people ended up collaborating on a Facebook group called persistent fantasy world builders. And along with him, there's one other um, storyteller who I've picked up based on her, her world. Um, Valena DeAngelis, who she's written two stories for us, but one of them is kind of like locked behind a story that I have to write. And we're probably not going to see that for like two years. So um, she does the tempest of Bravour trilogy um so both really fantastic and then along the way like there's a bunch of other ones who i i end up collaborating with on the promotions and things like that so and um, and that's something we you know you you talked about these other members of the indie community that we didn't really even get to touch on that um you know i feel like you'll be one of our frequent guests on this show uh that i feel like we 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 really need to that would be a nice conversation because i'm all about community especially in the indie scene like i'm mr indie as far as i'm concerned like i i am a huge fan of indie i consider myself an indie creator because of podcasting and stuff like that and and, you know i love i mean i don't know that kevin smith is indie anymore and there we go we got the kevin smith reference into the show um but like he started off as an indie guy and that, that's where I think my sense of indie comes in is from, from him. So uh, anyway, uh, Mike, thank you for uh, being our first guest on walking with writers. Uh, Always glad to be here. <laughs> yes. Yes. And uh, you know, I don't know when this is releasing, but when it does, 
I hope you enjoyed the path that we walked down with Mr. Mike D'Angelo. And a huge, huge thank you to uh, Mike for sitting down and chatting with me for a little over an hour there. Um, if you're familiar with my, my work in the past with podcasting, uh, we could go on tangents a lot. And uh, I'm hoping that with Walking With Writers and any future iteration of um, other podcasts that I do, I keep it reined in a little bit or at least edit it so that it's reined in a little bit more. Um, but uh, I just want to uh, thank you all for, for listening to the show again. Uh, it means a great deal to me that uh, you took time out of your day to sit down uh, and, and find a new podcast. This is a brand new podcast, Walking With Writers. Um, as you heard in the episode, and if you listened to episode zero, uh, there was some um, minor clipping issues on my end because uh, it's been a while since I sat down and record and all my recording is happening remotely. I'm not really able to see the levels in front of, right now I'm recording. I can see the levels in front of me and know I'm not clipping. Um, however, you know, with, with the, the remote tools I have, it's a little difficult to do that. So, uh, we're getting there. We're getting there. I promise, uh, where, um, you know, uh, there might be some rocky roads with some clipping in the first four episodes. Um, but now I'm, you know, mentally aware of, keeping an eye out for that and whatnot. Um, you uh, can find Mike uh, uh, pretty much anywhere at Tellist uh, or Tellist Books on Instagram. Uh, Twitter's at Tellist uh, and Tellist.com. Uh, if you're not familiar with, with Mike D'Angelo's work, um, you know, we talked about it briefly in the episode there. And um, it's just a wonderful world of fantasy that has grown so much from when he started telling these stories at the age of like 16 or 17 years old. Um, so it's, it's, he's been working on uh, Tellus now uh, for uh, more than half his life. Uh, you know, we're, we're like approaching or have surpassed 20 past years of, of him working on Tellus. And I think that's wonderful that he stuck to it. Um, that's, I think with me as a writer and I'm still trying to figure out how this podcast is going to operate outside of being a interview show. What's, what's the real purpose. And, and we went over that last in, in the episode zero last week, um, what some of the purposes are, but another purpose I'm really looking to get out of this is um, like discovering my own journey and, and seeing that I'm improving and then seeing some of my guests, like how they, go about their, their, their business. And, um, something that I think I really can learn from Mike here is just kind of being persistent, no matter how many plates you're spinning. Now, now his plates all happen to be related to the world of Tellist, whether it's writing the books, whether it's the, the quantum quest or uh, tower sphere game, those are all Tellus related. Even the stuff that he does for promotional work through Tellus.com uh, as you heard, it's all kind of, he integrates a lot of stuff into Telest. Um, the plates I spin are, you know, uh, book related, podcast related that might not necessarily intermingle and stuff. So um, it's, it's, I think as a writer, what I'm, I'm, and, and as a writer right now, primarily writing for like Bam Smack Pal and uh, Dork Side of the Force. Um, I'm doing pretty good there. I'm, I'm, I'm getting at least, uh, you know, a couple articles a month uh, with with one of the sites I'm doing about two a week. I'm trying to get on that schedule. And I think it's, um, you know, it's about trying to focus better than I can right now. Uh, and I think, you know, there there's just 
I need to develop that tool set. And maybe in season one here, that's kind of what my goal is, is seeing if chatting with these wonderful writers, if I can find the things that I need to work on and, and really kind of focus it towards focusing. Anyway, uh, I've gone on long enough. Um, make sure you uh, follow Mike on all those places that I told you. Uh, there will be links in the show notes as well. Uh, and you can find us uh, for now the best place to get links to the most recent episodes uh, to Walking With Writers is on a link tree slash that nerdy kev. That's linktr.ee slash that nerdy kev. Uh, and I'll probably be talking about the show and the episodes in my newsletter, which you, subs- uh, you can subscribe to at Starbird Media. That's Starbird Media. Uh, substack.com. Uh, there should also be a link to that in my link tree as well. Um, so with that, um, I said it at the end of this interview, but I think I kind of love that as my sign off here, uh, before we kick into some of the, uh, the, the housekeeping at the end, I hope you've enjoyed this path that we've walked down with Mike D'Angelo right here on walking with writers. Consider leaving a five-star review wherever you listen to the show. The ones that I happen to see that make me feel all warm and fuzzy are on Apple Podcasts and Podchaser. Showing love on social media or tell a friend about the show. These are all great ways to help Walking With Writers do bigger and better things. All music from the show comes from the song Rainbows by Scott Buckley. Produced by Kevin Gallagher and Mike D'Angelo and edited by Kevin Gallagher, Walking With Writers is a production of Starbird Media, LLC. If you'd like to inquire about advertising rates, press coverage, or about guesting on the show, you can email me at writers at starbirdmediallc.com.